Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Faces of Veterans. My name is Mike Nelson. I'm your civilian co-host here without Steve Willett, unfortunately. Steve uh, had a scheduling conflict and could not be here, but we're still here with Derek Lloyd. Yes. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello, children. Hello, children. <laughs> Hello, Clarice. Hello, Clarice. And I'm hoping that there's not too much of an echo in here, but I feel like there might still be, but... Whatever. Anyway, Derek uh, was in the Army. I was in the Army. Army Air, veteran. Airborne Infantry. Airborne Infantry. Yeah. Uh, how long ago were you... Well, how long were you in the Army? How long was I in? So I was inactive for, from 2002 to 2010, and then I tried the Guard for a year, which was a terrible decision. Actually, it was more of a terrible decision that I tried to reclass and then go in the Guard. Okay. If I had stayed infantry, I probably would have excelled in the Guard, but I decided to reclass to counterintelligence. You don't take a ground pounder and stick them behind a desk, especially a behind the desk guard job this one weekend a month. It's not. It's not yeah. So one weekend a month, you had to go sit behind a desk. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't. I'm not going to lie. It doesn't sound very much fun. No, no. But it was like, the, you always look through the, at the past through rose colored glasses, but yeah. you know, I didn't really want to keep doing what I was doing, but then I really didn't want to do what I had decided that I was going to do in the guard. So, yeah. But now I have friends that are in the guard and the infantry and they're like, they still do cool stuff. I don't know that my body could handle that at my age now though. Although I would have hit my 20 this, this year, right? 2002 to 2022. Yeah. So I would have hit my 20 year mark this year. Nice. If I had stayed in. I mean, I, I see Instagram videos of you lifting really heavy shit. So I'm, I'm sure you probably could keep up. Oh, I really like to pick things up and put them down. Yeah. But any more than five reps is cardio. <laughs> and I don't do cardio. I don't think I could run two miles to save my life. I mean, I, I don't know. I did walk 22 miles the other day. Very nice. Yeah, that was for uh, our walk to raise awareness for uh, veteran suicide. Now, is that the one you did with Jacques? Yeah, Jacques. Your walk with Jacques? Yeah, my walk with Jacques. It was just me and Jacques. Nobody else joined us. We uh, we thought people were coming. No, Nobody else wanted to join us. 22 miles just seemed excessive to other people. So we walked from Saratoga up to yeah. Randall Park in Glens Falls. And was, yeah, that's pretty sweet. It was good. I mean, my feet did not like me for the next week, and I had a... Just massive blisters. Oh, yeah. I mean, 22 miles, whether you're walking or running, is a uh, a long way to go on your feet. We found the worst problem was we were walking on the shoulder of the road, and the shoulder of the road is sloped. Uneven, yes. So we had to switch sides of the road. It's almost like you're limping the entire time. Right. right? So, yeah, one, one stride is longer than the other. Yeah. yeah. What, um, I'm trying to think, how long did that take you? Uh, we left at 5, and we got there just before noon, like 11.30. Oh, that's not bad. No, we were booking. We made really good time. Yeah. I was I'm like, you know, marathons, you know, what's what's an average marathon time? Oh, I don't even know. I don't run marathons. I know. <laughs> you know it's really funny to you say that about five reps cuz every time I go into my garage and I go to to do a weight workout and I'm like, I always go in with the idea that I'm going to do a 4 by 10 and it almost always switches to a 5 by 5. 5 by 5s are great. Man, those 5 by 5s are great, right? Oh, 5 by 5. By 5 by 5. By five by five. Five by five by five. <laughs> Coming in five by five. It's my favorite squat workout right there. Five by five the, by five fifty five. Oh yeah. Yeah. Five by five by five fifty five. Five sets of five of five hundred fifty five pounds. Oh my god. Is that really? Yeah. That's legit? Yeah. I just heard my kneecap fly <laughs> out of my leg. <laughs> like I said, I like to pick things up and put them Man, down, but I don't amazing. think I could run. My knees can't stand running. Oh, yeah. I the running the running thing I can do for sure. 
Well, enough of the workout stuff. Okay, now we're talking about the, the yeah. army. Let's let's get in the army. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your army career. I, you know, so you got it. How old are you when you went in? Eighteen, straight out of high school. Straight Actually, out of high school. I just signed up when I was seventeen. I was in the deferred entry program, a delayed entry program. Okay. So that was right after nine eleven. And you're like. And is that why you joined? I mean, it, it, it was, it was, I knew that I was going in beforehand. That, that was always, my goal was always, I'm going to go in the military and then I'm going to be a cop. Okay. That was my goal from the, when I was really young. Yeah. So 9-11 happened and I was like, yep, I'm definitely going. Um, so I signed up originally. I was on an airborne ranger contract, but after 9-11 ranger regiment was at 190%. So they, people were getting stuck in Fort Benning waiting to go into the, the ranger regiment so after four or after uh basic training in airborne school i ended up going to the old guard which you have to meet certain qualifications to be there you got to be at least six feet tall you had to have a gt score which is part of the asvab test of over 110 and there's other other qualifications but basically we did funerals in arlington national cemetery so we got dressed up in our blues uniforms mm-hmm. and we did funerals in arlington so i did that for the first four years of my career um, then it came time to, I was getting out, but I never really did what I joined up to do. Sure. I mean, I had deployed with the old guard. Actually, I was part of their first deployment since Vietnam, the third U S infantry. We went to Djibouti, Africa, and I had no idea Djibouti was even a country until we went there. So I have Djibouti. plenty of jokes that I'm refraining from making right now about, about Djibouti. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was very sweaty in Djibouti. <laughs> it's the hottest country on average, I think in the world. I was, Absolutely ridiculous. So literally to bring it to Biloxi Blues, it was Africa hot. It was it was really Africa hot. So yeah. Spent some time in Djibouti, Ethiopia, Kenya. Uh did some yeah. So did some cross border into Somalia, which I don't think we were supposed to do, but we had to, some captain gave away a sewing machine he wasn't supposed to give away, so we had to go retrieve it. It was like, It's interesting. Yeah. And it's out I'd so but I'm curious what after not having been deployed since Vietnam, why were they sending the old guard to Djibouti? Because uh, it's Combined Joint Task Force Horn of Africa. So they needed an infantry presence there uh, as a deterrent. There are terrorist cells in Africa. They got AIAI and some other, some other terrorist organization that operate in Africa and specifically the Horn of Africa. Okay. And there's a combined joint task force there. It, I think the base is a... I, the command of the base changes. So it's Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force. So we were the Army presence there um, as a deterrent, as a force protection. So we would go, we'd, we'd guard um, the Army Corps of Engineers. They could be out building roads. We mm-hmm. trained the Ethiopian the Ethiopian officers at their their version of West Point. So we went out and trained Ethiopian infantry officers uh, for their war with Eritrea at the time. Okay. I think those two countries are still at war, but um, yeah, most of the time I've spent with it, it was in Ethiopia. But we did nine months there. Okay, nine months in Djibouti. Nine months in Djibouti. Sweating, just sweat. Yeah, they, it was so hot they had to control how many times we went in the tents and outside the tents because the temperature difference. You could actually go into shock. No kidding. Yeah. What a weird world we it, live in. It is. It is a really <laughs> weird world. Yeah, you didn't do much during the day there, but it, it was it was a cool experience. We we did most of our missions in civilian clothes, riding around in uh, civilian vehicles, really like Toyota Hiluxes. And 
And why didn't they have you, why, or why did they have you in civilian clothes? So it, just to, our, to keep our presence down, we were still there. We still walked around with our weapons. We still had body armor. Yeah. I mean. They just didn't want you in fatigues. They didn't want you like looking the full part. Right. So I, I don't remember we were, I don't remember where, I think it was a G8 summit we were guarding. And I got to sit on the whole, we were in the White Sands Beach Resort in Kenya. And I got to sit on the top of a hotel with an M14 sniper rifle and an AT4 rocket launcher and just guard, just guard the gate, the G8 summit. Just hang out, man. Yeah, just, Here's a rocket launcher. Yeah. Here's a sniper rifle. You could go hang out down by the pool afterwards. Nice. Yeah. yeah. It sounds rough. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's great. It's a great experience. So, but we, I didn't really do any fighting there. Yeah. And I had joined to go take it to the terrorists. So I decided to re-enlist to go to the 173rd Airborne, which is stationed in Vicenza, Italy, which was a bonus on top of that. I had to go live in Italy, but uh, they're the second most deployed um, infantry battalion mm-hmm. next to the 82nd. Okay. So we, and well, I guess the 10th Mountain Division, because we constantly switch places to the 10th Mountain Division. Yeah. I found them. So I went to Afghanistan twice with 173rd Airborne. And did you finally see Oh, we saw, I saw more combat than I than I, you'd like I, to. I mean, the, the first, I mean, my first deployment that was thirteen months, and the first nine months of that I spent in the Corngall Valley, the infamous Corngall Valley. Interesting, and I mean that's quite the contrast between uh, hanging in Djibouti and going was, to Afghanistan. It I mean, was, it really was. And now that that now and that's two thousand six. So that was OEF eight. So that's two thousand seven to two thousand eight. Okay. All right, and it was I don't I don't know well enough as far as the the years of conflict there, but were those those are pretty dicey years or uh, the beginning was because that was the change of administration. I think we two thousand eight we had a presidential election. Right? Yeah, right. That's when Obama came in. Right. So we had a change of administration right in the middle of that deployment, which was kind of we had a change of rules of engagement, which was a little weird too. I always wonder about that when that when the president changes, like how much does that affect the guys on the ground? Uh, quite a bit. I mean, we were, we were definitely not allowed to be um, as offensive as we had been before. It's interesting. And we had to uh, kind of sit back and let the Afghans lead more, which was dangerous as it was. Is uh, half of the, you know, they knew when we were going to get attacked before we knew when mm-hmm. we were going to get attacked because they had their, their brother or their cousin or they, they – so when they would disappear, you'd know you were about to get attacked. <laughs> so the Afghan military, they were uh, super unreliable. That is crazy. I, I'm sorry to laugh. I just, like, that's just, that's yeah. nuts, man. Yeah, we like, take, where's all of our Afghani guys? We take them on aerosol operations. We'd have to put them in the, the Chinooks with us. And we, we'd we have to make sure that their weapons weren't loaded in the helicopter because he, loading and unloading the helicopter, you'd more likely to get shot by one of them. Oh, my God. Dropping their weapon or just tripping and... They're clumsy. Yeah, no, yeah, they're they're clumsy and yeah, there weren't really the regular Afghan military was really not all that trustworthy. That's crazy, man. I I would hate to be one of the because the Marine Corps were tasked with the the, the ETTs. They were embedded trainers yeah. of the Afghan military, so the Marine Corps actually had to had to go with them. They were they, those were their battle buddies, the people they relied yeah. on in a, in a firefight. I. The, it, it's it, they're like the 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 Afghani version of the the uh, the 
the bird, the canary in the coal mine, right? Like, you know, everybody, they, they all left. Oh, it's time to, time for us to go. I mean, what would you do in that situation? Would you just prepare for combat and then? Yeah. I mean, we, oh, Jesus, uh, we had, we had the Afghan guys straight up kill one of our uh, platoon sergeants um, in another platoon across the river when we were in Cornwall. There was some confusion. They straight up opened fire on him. That's crazy. Yeah, no, it, it was it was bad. Cornwall was Cornwall was bad. It was tight. We got in a firefight at least one engagement every single day. So we were fourth platoon. So the way our battalion was set up is able battle chosen company, and we were destined company. We were mm-hmm. heavy weapons, anti armor. So. We, were, we had the trucks and the heavy weapons, the 50 cals, the Mark 19s, um, the tow missile, which the Afghans hated the tow missile. So what they did with our company is they split one platoon off to each of the line companies. And then our company, Destin Company's leadership, kept two platoons and then stole a platoon from the other line companies. So we ended up deploying with four companies plus heavy weapons capabilities. So we, our job would be to go out and patrol the Corngall Road. Now, the Corngall Road, it'll paint a picture for you. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a the width of a Humvee okay. cut out of a mountain. You have a sheer cliff on one side going up, and you have a sheer drop for 200 meters on the other side. And we're clearing this road essentially with our front tires because the, the, the Afghans, were, they would mine these roads, the anti-tank mines. That's crazy. Yeah, pressure plated anti tank. You're you're clearing the road with your front tires. We got in some pretty dicey uh, near ambushes there, so that they'd, they'd wait for you in the draws mm-hmm. because you're you're forced to slow down when you go through a draw. Mm-hmm. So as long as they can take out your front vehicle, because there's nowhere to go, every single one of your vehicles is cut, captured in the kill zone. Yeah, and they found out if they got high enough on the cliff. We can't traverse our heavy weapons high enough to sure, shoot it. can't angle them up, yeah. So we had to change our SOPs when going through draws, where we only send one vehicle through at a time and keep the other guns scanning the high ground. Now, and that's it. I mean, that's an SOP that was changed based on an they, experience they, of getting based caught Based on, yeah, a near ambush. They were shooting down into our turrets. They got an, an armor-piercing RPG, took out the uh, uh, differential of our rear truck. Which that would have been catastrophic if, it, if they hadn't gotten out of. We we managed to limp him out of the the kill zone, mm-hmm. but that you take out your rear differential, yeah, you're you're dead in the water. Yeah, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, and then that vehicle gets trapped in the kill zone with guys shooting down into it. I can't even imagine what that's like. Yeah, it was, it's 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 scary. Yeah, yeah. The only the only way to get angle, I I was shooting. With my own M4 up through the turret and onto the, the hillside. Not with because the 50 cal Because on. the 50 cal couldn't get elevation that high. Holy moly, man. Yeah. It was, it was, it was dicey. Whew. That's one of the times I almost died. Well, I know, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, I know you said that you pretty much you got no firefight every single day. Yeah. I, for 18 months you were deployed there? No. For, we were the only there. We were, we, it was an 18-month deployment. Yeah. We were in the Cornwall for nine months. We got pulled back to our own company because they reorganized. I think it was after the election. They reorganized everything. Mm-hmm. And we had to go take on our own FOB or Ford operating base. Our company had to take on its own. So we pulled all of the the, uh, the 
the dis the separated platoons back to the original company. Interesting. And then a little bit more relaxed environment once you got pulled back? It was. We got out of that area, but we'd still have to do route clearance. Mm-hmm. And we, we still got some dicey stuff. And Cornwall was definitely the worst. We parked right behind a triple stack anti-tank mine that blew up right in front of my truck. That was terrible. <laughs> we were we were five feet forward. Uh, we'd taken out yeah, it would have taken you out. That's nuts. They did end up taking out one of our trucks, which, yeah. Yeah. Nobody died. Um, Gunner Murph, he lost his legs. He was ejected from yeah. the vehicle. That was a tow vehicle. They hate... They hate the tow because it's got it's got thermal, so we can see them. Gotcha. So uh, that that was luckily the driver was not wearing his seatbelt. He got blown from the vehicle. These these weren't Frag Five Humvees. These were the the, the lighter armored Humvees. Mm-hmm. The doors weren't quite as heavy. He got blown from the vehicle. Luckily, the TC the truck commander was outside of the vehicle when it happened. He got blown back, but not not severely injured. That's nuts, man. But yeah, he because we part. Our job was also to pull heavy weapons fire support. So whenever any of the the, the ground platoons were going out to do a patrol, we'd have to pull out onto the Corngolm Road and we'd sit on spurs, and we'd pull security for heavy weapons mm-hmm. so, to cover them for their exfil. Because anytime we never get hit on the way into a village, we'd always get hit on the way out of a village. Like after we were finished, they'd hand yeah. them out beans and rice. Yeah. They'd, they'd go up into the trees and grab their, uh, their AK-47s and their PKMs and RPGs, and then they'd wait till we left, and they'd hit us on Xville. That's crazy, man. I So there's only so many places we could park, so they knew exactly where the trucks were going to be parked, so they put, the, they, they put their IEDs underneath where we parked our trucks. Wow. Smart, I guess. Yeah. It's... uh. It may, you know, so our last episode was Ralph Wedding and he was uh, in Vietnam and he was talking about being deployed in Vietnam and then leaving and going to the Philippines. And it was really nice in the Philippines. Yeah. But I, I remember thinking that then and, I, and same thing here where just I, I can't even imagine how like when you guys got pulled back of how much of a relief it must be to get out of those dangerous situations like that. Would you, would you say that that's a fair assessment or? Yeah, it was a relief for us, but at the same time, we knew that somebody was still going to have to do the job that we were doing Yeah, without the same experience doing that job that we had gained for the last nine months. So we were putting up somebody else at a disadvantage when we were kind of given, when you're getting pulled we, out, we were given a reprieve yeah. to go do another job. But at the same time, the job still had to be done and we had gotten really good at the job that we were doing. How sustainable? I mean, how how long do you think that you could do that job, though? I mean, being under that constant stress, that constant threat, like oh, you can't. That's that's where that's how PTSD sets. And I guarantee, there's absolutely nobody that was there that didn't come back with it, some kind of PTSD. It's you're constantly, yeah, constantly engaged. Yeah, I can't even. Again, you're, I can't. You've got a heightened sense of awareness. Everything you you have to be hyper aware of everything that's going on around you because everything there can kill you. And it's trying to, for right. that matter. Actively. Actively trying to or passively trying to. Yeah. Even, even the Cornwall Road, we even without the IEDs in it, that road would routinely collapse. Just that road. Yeah, I know. So, it would wash out. I mean, shit. Uh, we'd have jingle I think you can say shit on here. Uh, we'd have jingle trucks. They're Afghan uh, two-and-a-half-ton trucks that were all covered in flashy stuff that made noise when they drove, and the chains and stuff. Okay. 
they like to dress up their trucks. Okay. They'd routinely fall off the road. But with just people in it? Yeah, and just tumble down to the to the riverbed below. I mean, that's it. It's over. Like Except you're done. Yeah, you're not coming out of that. You're not recovering that vehicle. Or the people. I, mean, I guess you could climb down and recover the body, but I don't think you're surviving that. So I guess why the hell would you drive those trucks on that road? Because you have to get supplies in and out. I mean, that's the only way to go. Right. We we would hide. The U.S. Army contracted these jingle trucks to bring supplies to the Cornwall. So if it wasn't flown in. Right. It would have to be driven in, especially water for the, you know, the one shower that we got a month. Nice. Yeah. We used to wear clothes until they stood up by themselves. Oh, yeah. we throw them away. <laughs> that was, that was yeah, the, the, the cue. The socks, oh, yeah. That I, shirt's I, done. I always love getting mail with socks in it because that means I could throw the, the old ones out. The old ones out, yeah. There was no sense in washing. We had we had washing machines and dryers, but there were so, there were so many of us there. Yeah. And using them. And then using them at night was a problem because opening the door and then the light and then people shoot at lights. And people shoot at lights. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, the only way to heat the shower was they were in big containers on the top of the shower mm-hmm. connects and they would get heated by the sun. So you'd want to take a shower at night and try to get up there at least once a month. But it's... Difficult, and they see we were lucky because we were actually on the outpost itself. The guys that mm-hmm. were out on the o- the OPs or the, uh, the the forward operating bases that were surrounding, the mm-hmm. weren't weren't really so lucky. So we had a lot more amenities than those guys did. With your once a, once a month shower, that was the lucky part. Yeah, that's crazy, man. So what? Uh, so you guys were nine months. You got pulled back. Pulled back. What was next? I don't even remember what the name of the facet again. Sort to compartmentalize everything. I I've forgotten more about what I, I did when I was there than mm-hmm. than I, I remember. I'll have I'll be talking to my buddies that were there with me. Sorry about that. And they'll and they'll remember. They'll be telling me stories about something I did. And I'm like I I I don't remember. That. I don't remember this at all. Oh no, kidding. Yeah. Now is that part of just? Being exposed to so much, and oh, there's a lot of explosions and stuff. I mean, I had a, I had an armor-piercing RPG um, breach my truck. That was another close ambush. Came right in through the back door of my truck. If we were going going just a little bit slower, that thing would have come right through the side of me. But it breached my truck and ended up lodged in my my countermeasure system, which electrified the entire truck. We were all getting zapped. It was lucky that we were being towed at the time. Wow. Because we, we had broken our, our half shaft on the way. This was when we were establishing um, uh, Restrepo. I don't, I, have you uh, watched Sebastian Junger's um, documentary film, Restrepo? No. Dot and Sebastian Junger, Tim Hetherington, he did a documentary film, Restrepo. He wrote a book, War. Um, Sebastian Junger wrote the book, War. But Restrepo was, um, it was a documentary film following one of the platoons. Um, in in battle company, okay. And we were attached, check we, it out. We were attached to battle company. It's a good. I, I mean, it's it really gives you a glimpse into the human side of war. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, I mean, that's the only you know reference that I have is is Hollywood, basically, right? right. From that side, and I and you know whatever that means. But I just most of the things that guys talk about in this podcast are that I've met. That I've told you, like, I can't even imagine the stuff that you guys are seeing and going through. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely nuts. Yeah. No, that was, 
that was crazy. Um, near ambush. I did. I did watch a guy get turned into pink mist that time though. Direct hit with a with a exploding fifty cal round. That's nuts, man. Yeah. I did like I, I you know the only thing that I could think of when you tell me that I'm just like I don't even know how you like you come back from that. Like how do you how does one come back home and be able to function? Oh, I struggled. I I really did that. It was more the disconnect from the people I was with. Because mm-hmm. you come back home and you're not, you don't have that same support system. You don't have those guys that you're accustomed to. You don't, yeah. you don't have that brotherhood anymore. And I came home and I didn't have anything. And also being in the military, for, I was in the army for nine years. I started to identify that that was who I was. Sure. I was Staff Sergeant Lloyd. And then when you lose that identity, coming back is you struggle to find your identity again. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's, you know, all, every single one of the guys that we've talked to so far has said a similar thing of, you know, the, the lack of connection that you can't, you just, you just, you're really missing that camaraderie and that trust and that faith that you have in the people around you. And it just, when you come back home, it's just, that's not, not what you have anymore. And I don't know if that's a, a commentary on how good that camaraderie is or just, how, how messed up our society is that you, you know, you don't have that or, you know, you're not being put in those situations that creates that bond. But, but as adults, it, it does, it is a lot harder to make friends as an adult than mm-hmm. it is when you're a child because you, or when you're younger, because you don't have the time anymore. You have to spend a lot of time with somebody in order to develop that deep bond with somebody. Yeah. You spend a lot of time with the guys you serve with. Sure. You, you live with them, you eat with them, you sleep with them, you fight with them. I mean, I, countless, countless hours sitting in observation with the same guys in my truck mm-hmm. every single day, day in and day out, that that builds that bond. You don't have that same bond with civilians. You don't spend that much time with a civilian. Yeah, because your college roommate, yeah, you're really close to that those mm-hmm. guys. What who, who, who adult has that same connection with, with a friend sure. other than their spouse? Now, I know that you are in a very active member in the veteran business networks and, you know, all the, the you know, anything that's going on veterans locally, I see that you're attached to it. I, I try to, yeah. So I guess my question is, and, and every time I'm talking to someone, we have these conversations or if I'm in, you know, since we launched this podcast and, and Stephen and I have been in a lot of conversations with different people and they're... I want to say that there's a lot of support for veterans, but at the same time, it kind of seems like there isn't, right? Like there's a lot of organizations who are trying to support veterans. And that being said, I would think that you guys have that network that you're able, but but it's still, I mean, what's the disconnect? It's trying to get people involved and engaged. It's trying to re-engage them. I, it, I don't know. And also it's time. Yeah. We're all adults. Yeah. Time is difficult. Time is precious. Time is, yeah. It's fleeting. That's for sure. Exactly. And at the end of the day, work for 10 hours a day. Do, do I really want to go to an event for two hours? Right. Do I, you know, and you got kids and families and, you know, exactly. if we're lucky, yeah. Everything, everything's time is, is a competition for your time. It, it's really difficult to engage. I mean, for younger veterans, yes, that don't have all that going on. Mm-hmm. We're talking. I'm trying to engage with. 
veterans in business. And if you, you're, you're in business or especially if you're in business yourself, what time do you really have? No, no, I know. Yeah. That's the one thing I do know about is how little time I have to do anything that's not work related. Right. So it, we have to give them something. What are they going to get out of it for giving mm-hmm. us this time? And a lot of them not, don't necessarily want or need the camaraderie anymore. A lot of like, as like this, I would love to have the, the close relationships that I had when I was in, but I just don't have the time to develop them anymore. Yeah. 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 Those are situations where, you, I mean, you didn't even have a choice, but to have those, those relationships, right. right? You know, you're, you're under orders to be where you are with who you are for how long you're there. As opposed to now you have a little bit of choice. I mean, if we're lucky, we have a little bit of choice, right? Of where we are and what we're doing and who we're around. But I can understand that. Yeah. It's a lot harder. Yeah. We try. We try. We try to get engagement from, from people. We're, we're slowly gaining a following. Yeah. So, you know, as you're looking back at, at your military career, right? What, what do you think? What, what do you think the craziest thing that you ever experienced or went through? Would be. I don't know. Well, and not necessarily like the craziest the thing I went through is most I mean, remarkable. Look, you look, know, looking back to the first the first time we had, I actually got shot at, which was incredible. <laughs> I didn't even know where we were shooting getting shot at. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're we were fob sitting at the time. This was this was early on when we were in Afghanistan the first time. And because we were mobile and we had trucks, we mm-hmm. when other Companies had to go out and do patrols or they were going to do long operations. We'd have to drive out and babysit their forward operating base. So my platoon would have to go out and stay at their operating base and kind of just hold that ground. So my squad is out early morning, stand to. And I keep hearing these cracks. And then the HESCO basket, which are big cloth baskets that are filled with sand. That's what we use to build our fortifications over there. And all of a sudden, they see stuff, the, Hesco, the dirt in the HESCO baskets, just, they're, they're flying all around me. I'm like, what? what? They're sh- they shooting at us? Like, yeah, they're really shooting at us. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you do? Like, and now this is a conversation I'm having with my gunner up in the turret. Right. I'm, 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 I'm looking through my binos, and I'm looking through my ACOG on my, on my weapon. I'm like, I don't know where the hell this is coming from. So there's somebody shooting at us. I don't know where it's coming from, but somebody's shooting at us. So, like, what do you do in that situation? You return fire, known, likely, and suspected. So, you basically light up the hillside. So, known targets, likely places where they're hiding or suspected places where they could be shooting at you from. You know a general direction because you know where the shot, where the sure. shots are hitting. So, known, likely, and suspected. You just light up the hillside. So, you just start firing. Yeah. Did it work? They stop firing. They stop firing, they stop firing <laughs> events. I mean, but it's all menacing fire anyway. It's not. Yeah. Uh, they did have a couple guys that could actually shoot the the Taliban. I, they ha- did have some snipers. Yeah. But um, m- mostly they're just it's harassing fire. That's all it they're, is. They're, they're just sitting there just trying to be a pain in your ass. Right. And if they're lucky, they, they'll get you. They'll get you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, machine gun fire is all is far worse than like AK forty seven. Yeah. You, you hear PKM light up. Because that's just volume of fire. Mm-hmm. Of something's going to hit something. That's crazy, man. Where they volley in rockets. They shoot rockets into the base or RPGs. The rockets, they just they, they set them up on a rock. Set them off. Yeah. 
very crudely aimed. Set him up on a rock. Yep. Shoot him off. Yeah, we dealt with that the second time we were in, with um, Bob Airborne. They would, there was a ridge, a ridge line. And he'd constantly go up there, set rockets off, rocket, rocket the base. The second time in Afghanistan was a lot easier than the first time. Just because of the environment or just because you... Just because of the environment. So we... That, that was also another split deployment. We and we spent the first four months in... Three, four months in Nangahar province, which was on the Pakistani border. I actually mm-hmm. went up to the Pakistani border. We had pictures with Pakistani border guards and stuff. We had a decent experience with the Pakistani border mm-hmm. guards. We had other platoons that actually gotten shooting... With, shot back and forth with Pakistanis, the military... Yeah, there was there were some incidents with the Pakistani military on the Afghan border. Some they, uh, some incidents. So yeah, well the Afghan border stations would routinely get attacked by the Pakistani military. So yeah, hmm. so we we didn't have any issues with the Pakistanis, but the, but the Afghans did. The Afghans did. Well, when we went to the Pakistani border, and then the the second part of that deployment last eight, nine months, we were the counter-IED task force for FOB Airborne out of Wardak province. So uh, it was an MSR main supply route that we could, we controlled. Mm-hmm. We worked with EOD. Basically, we escorted EOD, but we worked directly with um, ODA, Operation Detachment Alpha 1-1 Special Forces, mm-hmm. along with the Afghan Special Forces, Afghan National Police, their counterterrorism unit, and... Um, some CIA contacts and we would directly target IED facilitators. So we'd, we'd gain evidence from the IEDs. We'd link them back to the facilitator, the guy who made it. Mm -hmm. And then we do surgical strikes on his house. I mean, that seems fair to me. Yeah. We do air assault raids in the middle of the night with, with the special forces and go in and kick down his door. Yeah. We actually served the first evidence-based arrest warrants in Afghan history. So you, you were arrested. I mean, that was the intent was to arrest these guys. Not right. in my head when you first started. I'm like, oh, these guys are going to go there and shoot. I mean, I don't blame you. The, the, intent, the intent is to arrest them, and <laughs> right. unless they want to get hostile. Sure, um, I'm sure it doesn't always go to plan. But we were we were serving warrants, and then we blow up their labs. So any any that we brought EOD with us. So mm-hmm. any active bomb lab that was there you blow it up as you should yeah so that was that we uh, i enjoyed our second deployment a lot better it was a much more established operating five airborne is a large mm-hmm. operating base great gym four meals a day showers you know, midnight yeah showers <laughs> you know, hot, hot water showers laundry they nice. had a uh, kellogg brown kbr had a laundry facility, you drop off your laundry, and then it kind of came back to you folded. And, wow. Oh, yeah. That's, was, that's quite the was, difference. Yeah. Great. yeah. No. <laughs> I, I, could do, I could do those deployments over and over again. Man, oh, I'm yeah. still thinking about that once a month shower, bro. That's, uh, oh, yeah. That was rough. Oh, I yeah. think about when I go camping for a week and I, you know, I don't get a shower for you know, four or five days or whatever it is, and it's like, man, I'm freaking crusty as hell. Yeah. A month. Yeah. And having to deal with the moon dust. The and moon the, dust. The moon dust. The, the dust is so fine over there. That's mm-hmm. why they're dealing with all that uh, the inhaled, the burn pit stuff. Yeah. It, it's also the dust there is so fine. 
It's very easily you'd step and like like we call it moon, moon dust. dust. Yeah, it get all over you. But yeah, also having to deal with burning your own your own feces in a barrel with diesel fuel. That's wait, that's not what everybody does. No, no, no. That's, <laughs> not, that's not what everybody does. Oh man, but yeah, we didn't have to do that in the second deployment. We did when we were in Nangarhar. We didn't when we moved to Airborne. When you moved there, yeah. It's like high high living. Yeah, it was it was, uh, it was quite the change of pace. But yeah, after that last appointment, I was like, yeah, I reached that critical point in my career where it's I was nine years in change. I was like, if I if I go if you go past ten years, mm-hmm. you you reenlist indefinitely. Basically, it's you're there forever or until you retire. Yeah, once you go past ten, you might as well stay for twenty. But I was what, twenty. Seven year old, twenty eight year old with no college, and it's like I, my original goal. I'm going to go in the military. I'm going to get out, go to college, become a cop. Mm-hmm. Um, the police thing never really worked out for me. Um, that's a whole different story. That's a whole nother. Yeah. So I mean, so what was life like coming home? So you came home. You're twenty seven years old. Twenty seven years old. I ended up uh, getting an apartment with my sister. Um, went to U Albany. Nice. Um, ended up graduating. Summa cum laude, 3.98 grade point. I got one A minus, and it just ah, screwed up that 4.0. Man. But, yeah, so I, I I did, well, when your job is going to school, the Army's great. I, I Everybody's talking about the college loan repayment. Right. I, I went to school for free, and they paid for me to live. They paid for my housing. Right. So you aren't racking up debt like a lot of kids are. No. So it allowed me to focus on my studies and yeah. have to. That's nice. It was nice. So that was it was that was four years. Then I met my first wife. And that yeah. See, so, normally guys get out of the military with with a couple divorces. I didn't have my first <laughs> one until after I was out. Yeah. But yeah. And then you're at Duke Concrete now. Yes, I'm the general manager for Duke Concrete Products. And and how did, how did you end up over there? Um. I was bouncing back and forth from – I was literally moving myself to to gain residency, to take tests for police jobs. Um, and then I was working for UPS as a driver at the time, and then my uncle approached me with this offer. Mm-hmm. Um, he owns Oneana Block and uh, Otsego Ready Mix in Oneana, New yeah. York. and. He decided he was going to buy another manufacturing facility in Queensbury. And I'm from Southlands Falls, so the area is very familiar. With yeah, yeah. So uh, he said he was, he was thinking about buying it, but he would only do it if I agreed to come on and be the general manager. Um, something that has to be a family business. So mm-hmm. because it's a family business, somebody in the family has to be there running it. Neither one of his sons, my cousins, want to leave Oneana. So it kind of fell down to me. Like, do I really want to keep doing this, beating my head against the wall, trying to get a job as a cop? And I, I ultimately decided that I was going to move forward with this yeah. change of pace into uh, business. Oh, well, from what I hear, you're doing pretty well over there. I try. Yeah. I try. Yeah. So what, you know, with, with, you know, men and women coming home, what, you know, is there any kind of advice or anything you talk to about? Men and women coming home from overseas, they're going through things. Uh, 
What you know? What would you say to them? Find find yourself a group. Find find that. Find some place with people that have mutual experience that you can vent to. I wish I had had that when I first got out. Mm-hmm. I, I found I found that camaraderie in uh, um, my next door neighbor. He was an Albany police a police officer, and he did, he wasn't military, but mm-hmm. I could also I could I could share my thoughts and feelings with him, and he could share stuff with me that he couldn't share with other people. So yeah. we. Uh, we we had a really good bond and that helped me in the beginning but find somebody that you can that you can share with find a close relationship with at least somebody that understands you and 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 so where you know where do where do veterans go where where do men and women go to find those kinds of people i mean it's you know again steve and i talked to a lot of people and it seems like it's it's hard to find yeah it, it, it is exceedingly hard to find um I would say the VFW, but I've never been to the VFW. I know a lot of guys <laughs> that are involved in the VFW. Yeah. But I, I never I never got involved with the VFW. I really I don't know where to, I come, come hang out, Veterans Business Network. That's right, yeah. yeah. We're we're having a, an open mixer on December seventh. Where is that? Slick Fin Brewery. A Slick Fin, that's right. And fe- veteran owned Veteran owned Slick Fin Brewery in Fort Edward. Uh, with, uh Marine Corps EOD. What he's a marine? I want some marine. I was a marine. Yeah. That's why. That's why yeah. I said he is a marine. Yeah. <laughs> Him and Heather both. That's right. Heather was. She was a marine. Yeah. That's where they met. The is it really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, December seventh, Pearl Harbor Day. Okay. Five o'clock, Slick Fan Brewery. Open to all. Open to all. That's awesome. Come out and share some war stories. Camaraderie. Make a new friend. Yeah. Sure, a lot of veterans hang out there. That's, that is a that is a veteran hangout. It is. Yeah, that's cool. They've like, done quite a quite a thing over there in Fort Edward, New York. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it really is. Seeing the revitalization of that downtown, so it's much needed. Yeah, yeah, especially that building that they're in, man. That yeah. thing was a sad, sad location before they got in there. Yeah, and then with Underwood, uh, CrossFit right there, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just it's amazing to to see Fort Edward come back. Yeah. I, Watching the transformation of, of downtown Glens Falls in the last 20 years has been phenomenal, too. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I remember growing up, and that place was a whole. Yeah, 25 years ago when I first moved down here, it was uh, not that nice. And now it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. It's, an, it's, a, it's a great little town. Yeah. Great little town. Well, uh, Derek, listen, I really appreciate you coming in. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for your service. Um, and, uh, yeah. Hopefully next time we'll get you back on when Steve can be here. I know he's feeling bad about not being here today. So I'm always cool with coming in and talking. Yeah, right. Yeah, we'll come Podcasts here. are fun. Yeah, for a time. All right, everyone. Well, thanks again for coming down. Thanks for listening, everybody. And tune in next time. We'll, uh, we've got some more guests coming up, and uh, you'll hear from us then. All right. Thanks for listening, y'all.